Welcome to the Binge Eating to Food Freedom podcast with Katie Papo. Our mission is to share the simplest and most peaceful system for food freedom in the world with people who suffer from binge eating, food addiction, and compulsive overeating. We are here to show that with the right strategy and support, any committed, coachable, and resourceful individual can feel peaceful and free with food. Hello, hello, and welcome to another live stream. And today's topic is going to be all about ending food obsession. So what is food obsession? So this is a part of food addiction where a lot and a lot of our clients, actually, this is one of their biggest complaints. They say, one of my biggest problems is I can't stop thinking about it. Even if I'm not eating, I'm already thinking or I'm already planning. Or if I'm out with my family, I'm just thinking about weight or what I'm going to eat or try not to eat later. So really at the point where thoughts become obsessive or super intrusive is where no matter how much we fight them, they keep coming. And probably if we're fighting them, they're coming even more. And also they're preventing us from really being present in our lives because the, you know, we live in our heads. So if we're not tending to the garden within our own minds, we can become so distracted from all of the things that are most important to us. So this topic today is so important because this is where we really get down to training the brain. So I know a lot of people are really interested in training the brain. Hey, Lisa, I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Janet, welcome. Thank you for listening. Um, so what we want to do today is talk about brain training. And this is one of my favorite topics because um, for those of you who don't know me that much, there's a little bit of glare. Let me take these off. Um, for those of you who don't know me that well yet, I've not only struggled with compulsive binge eating and food addiction, but I was dealing with also lots of other compulsive issues too. So I dealt with smoking, drinking. I would pull uh, my hair. I was diagnosed with what's called trichotillomania, which is like obsessive and compulsive hair pulling. Um, anyone who struggles with something like skin picking or some kind of obsessive compulsive urge that you feel like won't leave your brain and won't leave you alone, this, you need to know this. And you need to know it soon because the longer you go on without knowing how to train your brain, the more your brain will get trained anyway, but without your conscious you know, opinions of what you actually want. So your brain, no matter what, you are training it. Whatever you're surrounding yourself with now, whatever thoughts you're having now, you're training your brain. You might not be doing it intentionally, but you are training it. So what we want to focus on is how you kind of got your brain to be where it is right now so you can see how it works. And then what we're going to talk about, and that's going to be the bulk of this talk, is we're going to talk about how to start to make these shifts by just training your brain, simple things that you can do every day, multiple times a day that don't take a ton of time, but will start to compound and create actual real changes in how you think, in how you relate to food. You're going to start thinking about the things that are more important to you rather than being distracted by thoughts of food and things like that. That's what we're going to cover right now. So um, I'm happy to see a bunch of you guys here. 
good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for being here and for um, supporting me and in the work that we do. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is how did you train your brain to be this obsessive about food in the first place? Because it's important to know how this happened. Because once you understand how this happens, you start to realize, oh, I'm not broken. Oh, there's nothing wrong with me. This is normal and would happen to anyone if they did the exact same things that I did. And once you see what happened, then you're going to see, all right, how do I undo what I did and create what I want? So the way that the brain works is really primarily just through repetition. Um, the more we repeat something, the more it becomes ingrained. So if I were to want to learn a new dance, right, let's say there's four moves to this dance. I go up, up, across, across. Let's say that's my <laughs> that's my dance. So if I'm super uncoordinated, at first it's going to be hard. I'm going to be like, wait, was it this one? No, it was this one. Okay, this one, this one. Was it this? No, it was this, right? So I, so it's not coming naturally yet. But if I keep going every day and I'm just walking around going bump, 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 bump. Bum, 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 bum. Then no matter what, at a drop of a hat, I can go like this. And it doesn't take any effort. It's just in my muscle memory. So in a similar way, that's how the brain works too. When we repeat something over and over, it becomes just a habit. The neurons fire together and it's a, and it's a connection. And the more we repeat that, it strengthens the connection. So I also feel like we need to address the subconscious mind here. And a lot of people don't really know how the subconscious mind works or how to work with the subconscious mind. But um, this is important. I'm going to give you an example of how we did this with a client a couple of days ago so you can do this too. So the subconscious mind deals more with body stuff. So, and this is so nuanced, but it's, this is like, it's gold. It's so important. So let's say I remind you of something that happened two years ago, right? It will look like nothing's happening on the outside. But as you're recalling that story, certain things are kind of happening in the body. Maybe as you're remembering that old memory, your fingers will clench in. Maybe your forehead will scrunch. Maybe your abdomen will tighten. So the body remembers how it felt back then. And this is also how if you guys have, you know, ever witnessed someone or experienced yourself post-traumatic stress, this is also what happens. The body remembers the experience because of the emotions that were around it, because the emotions were so strong. The body remembers all the things that happened. And the more we repeat that over and over and over and over, then the mind, it gets ingrained in the mind and ingrained in the body. So it's like this whole, it consumes your whole consciousness in a way. So when we are talking about brain training, we need to address the conscious mind, but we also need to address the subconscious mind. And I want you to kind of think back to when your food struggles sort of started. So maybe it was when, and you can write in the comments, like what age you can kind of remember. Maybe it wasn't the exact time. It doesn't really matter if you get it exact, but try to remember the time in your life and what was going on then. Maybe you were a teenager, a preteen, when you started thinking about restricting food or you started thinking about your weight or you started thinking, mm, maybe I should eat less. What point in your life did that happen? 
Okay, so you can write in the comments or just think to yourself, when was that? And since then, that that at that point, you started to think in a new way. Before that, you weren't obsessive. You were just living your life as a kid, right? But then you started thinking, oh, I need to eat less so I can lose weight. And this started perpetuating. You started thinking these same thoughts over and over and over for however many years until now. Okay, so if you've thought, if you've had the thought, I need to lose weight, right? How many times, guess, put a number in the comments, just guess, how many times have you thought that thought? How many? A thousand, 20,000, a million, right? We don't even know sometimes. We have what, 60 to 90,000 thoughts a day, scientists estimate. So we think the same thoughts over and over, and that's how we train the brain to be obsessive by simple repetition. So it's not that that particular thought of I need to lose weight has any special powers or it has any special control over us. What makes it feel strong is just the fact that we've repeated it so much that now the body and the brain and all your subconscious thoughts believe that this is true, believe that yes, I need to lose weight. Does that make sense so far? So the brain gets obsessive through sheer repetition. Now. Something that's important to know, and I'll give you an example, because we were talking, I was talking with a client about this a couple days ago, and she's in the position now, she's in a good position because she's worked with us for, you know, a, a couple months or whatever. And she started, so the way she started um, was working with the conscious thoughts. So for those of you who haven't watched last week's talk, by the way, which was part one, uh, part one of, of this talk was... Um, uh, the ending the compulsive, ending the compulsive part of binge eating, that urge. So back in that talk, we were talking about what it means to really feel, to, to really um, go deep into this pattern. So this person who we were, who we were working with, she already got to the place where all of her conscious thoughts had already changed. So for example, let me give you an example. So I'm not vague anymore. When she sees a diet being advertised on TV, she doesn't anymore think, oh, I need to do that diet. That thought doesn't happen anymore because she's trained that out through her practice. I'll explain how it happened. Because she knows, and we talked about this last week as well, she knows that the more we restrict, the more the urge to binge will come. So anytime you restrict, whether it's mentally or with a food rule or you say, oh, I shouldn't eat that, that increases the urge to want to eat that food. OK, so restriction and binging, they go together. They're married. Does that make sense? So she knows that the more she restricts, the more the urge to binge will be there. So now she's become super aware of when she's kind of mentally restricting herself, when she says things like, oh, I really need to lose weight or all those old habits. Now, let's look at the difference, though, between the conscious and the unconscious level. So consciously, she knows I'm never going back to dieting again. This worked so much better. I'm so much happier being free. I'm so much happier that I will never have to pay for a diet for the rest of my life. She's consciously she's done. She's never going back. Now, though, she's still dealing with what I call residue. Now, residue is when we don't believe these thoughts anymore, but they're still coming and they're still annoying. So she'll still get thoughts like, 
oh, I really need to lose weight or, oh, I shouldn't eat that or, oh, I should stop eating after this amount. So she knows that the restriction isn't helping her. And if anything, it, it fuels the binges. But because those things, even though she doesn't consciously buy into it anymore, it's still in her subconscious. Why? Because she's repeated it so many times. So now she's in a position where she's no longer working with the conscious thoughts as much because she doesn't have to. That part's done. You work with the conscious first and then the subconscious kind of comes as you go with that. Now she's pretty much just working on the subconscious changes that she wants to see. So that way these thoughts don't even come anymore. And this is what eventually happens. At first, you have these thoughts all the time. This is how it looks to end the obsession. First, you have the thoughts constantly. Then you start to change them on a conscious level. So they're becoming significantly less. They're still there, but they're way less than they were before. Then what happens in the next stage is they're, they're even less but not only that, but when you do hear the thoughts, you're not buying them. It's kind of like, you know, if you have a kid, like if you've ever had a young kid around and they just are blabbering about <laughs> nonsense, you're not taking it seriously. You're like listening and you're like, oh, <laughs> but you're not listening and taking it so seriously that everything they're saying is true. So you basically stop buying into that story of these thoughts are actually true. Just because something is a thought of yours doesn't mean it's true. So that's the kind of the third phase. And then in the last phase, not only do you not believe that they're true, but you you don't even fear having these thoughts anymore because you you don't buy into them at all. So when they come, you're just like, oh yeah, I remember you, this is nothing. Like they, they don't even like touch you. And then eventually once all the fear is gone and all of that stuff is gone, then the thoughts just don't come at all. Why? Because you're not giving them attention anymore. So as you can see, the less you obsess, the less you're going to crave or have these obsessive thoughts and vice versa. Right. So so what's beautiful about that is it's a very predictable sequence of events where first the thoughts become less, then they become less and feel less powerful. Then you start to think, I'm not even believing these anymore. Then eventually they go away for good. And maybe they'll just pop up as residue here and there, but you're just like, it's, it's such a blip that you don't even pay attention. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't affect your life. So what we want to talk about now, I'm going to take you through four stages, um, four steps, I guess, where you're going to learn tools to take yourself through this process, um, to get to the process of where you're thinking of something constantly all the time to get to the point where you're not thinking about it at all. And it's not even like in your consciousness anymore. Okay. And I've gone through this process myself. I used to be very food rule obsessed and I was very, um, always focused on what to eat, how much to eat and da 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 da. da. Now I don't even think about these things anymore. It's just natural. It's intuitive. It doesn't even cross my mind. It wouldn't even occur to me to, to go on a diet or to restrict myself in any way. So it's possible. I've lived it. We see our clients living it all the time. Anyone with a working brain can do this. And it doesn't matter how long you've struggled in the past. It truly doesn't. That's not the thing that will make a difference. The thing that makes the difference is the attitude you bring to this process. And the attitude you need to bring to the process is I'm allowing this to be a steady change. I don't need all of my thoughts to disappear in five seconds because I know that's not going to happen. So what I'm going to do is go through this steadily and watch them as they gradually disappear. Does that make sense so far? 
Um, exactly. I see a, bu a bunch of comments here. Beautiful, guys. Your insights are very good. So first I need to talk about, before we get into the four steps, there's one prerequisite that's very important for this process. And if you haven't watched last week's talk, which is the part one to this week, which is today's part two, last week was part one. I talked about a process of calming down and creating space. Because if you think about how thoughts work, there's a stimulus or a trigger, and then there's a reaction, okay? So the trigger, the trigger and the reaction, they go together. But in between those two things, there is a space. And that space is the most important space to work within. Why? Because this is the space where you get to make choices. So it's not just straight from trigger to reaction, it's trigger space, then you choose your reaction. You see that difference? So this importance of calming down to create that space and to let it be a space that you can work in, just like how you'd clear your desk and be like, all right, I'm working today, so I'm gonna clear my desk and give myself space. This is what you do when you work with your thoughts. You have the trigger, you have the reaction, so you work on expanding the space between the trigger and the reaction, so that way you can start to choose how you want to react before you do, okay? And this takes practice, but we're gonna go through the steps now. Okay, so step one, to end food obsession or end obsessive thoughts about food, is to first gain clarity about what you want and what you don't want. And most people are very clear about what they don't want. I don't want to think about food anymore. I don't want food to rule my life. I don't want to have to diet anymore. I don't want to have to worry about what foods are in the house. I don't want to have to review a menu before I go to the restaurant. I don't want to avoid social situations because I'm worried about binging. All of these things are perfect examples of what you don't want. However, when you're training your brain, you must know what you do want. You have to know what you want your brain to look like on the other side because you can't train something out without replacing it with something else. Does that make sense? You need to know what you want and this is your choice. No one's gonna tell you what the right answer is. But just to give you some examples, you can get your gears turning. What our clients want and what I hear over and over is I want to feel peaceful and relaxed around food. I want to be able to listen to my body when it's hungry and eat and enjoy and stop easily when I'm full. I want to be able to deal with my emotions in a healthy way instead of eating, right? So when you're thinking about this on a brain training level, you have to think about what you want your thoughts to look like in the future. So if you're like, let's say you took out, and you can do this right now actually, but you could do this in a, in a, in a longer way later if you want. You would take out a piece of paper, for now just write in the comments, and write down what are the thoughts that you want to get rid of. So an example might be, um, I'm fat. How good of an example is that? How many times have you thought that before? How nice would it be if your brain didn't think that anymore? But what would you want to replace the thought with? That's something you need to know. Because no one, like, think about a normal healthy eater. 
right? They don't walk around thinking, I'm skinny. They're not thinking about it, period, right? So it's not just about like with affirmations, how you just take the thought you don't want and then replace it with the opposite. That's not necessarily relevant here because normal effortless eaters won't walk around the world thinking I'm so thin, <laughs> like they don't think about it. So you have to understand what you want your brain to think, like what thoughts would you love to have upon waking up in the morning? Start writing these down and get a sense. If you could choose, if you could choose all the thoughts your brain has, what would they be? Then you're going to start to understand what you want to start training your brain to look like. If someone's always thinking negatively, they're going to want to start thinking positively, right? They're going to want to start looking at the glass half full instead of half empty as a simple example. So once you get clarity on what you want, then you're in a position to start choosing what approach you're gonna to use to train your brain in this direction. So that brings us to step two. Now, step two, this is gonna be our most detailed uh, step. So pay attention here because this is where you elect your specific approach that you're gonna use. And I go through three types of approaches. There's reactive, there's proactive, and then you can also do a combo of those two. So let me explain what those are and what some examples would be. So reactive means that you're, that when, an, that when that negative thought or obsessive thought comes, you practice a new reaction to it. So one example, and I gave a talk on this a, a few weeks ago, so I won't go too much in depth, is cloud watching which is this concept, it's, it's a name that we, it's a term that we use, but basically what it describes is when a thought comes, you're detached. You don't see the thought as you, you don't see the thought as being uh, powerful in any way. Instead, you just see it as a cloud that just floats on by coming in and out. So if the thought comes, you don't really mind. You're just like, all right, you can be here because I know you're a cloud and you'll just pass. So it really takes the drama out of the thoughts. So that would be an example of something reactive, that when a thought comes, you have a specific reaction that you practice. And why is this important? Again, think about the brain training. There's, this, there's the stimulus or the trigger, then there's the reaction. So in that space, right after the trigger and before the reaction, you choose your reaction, okay? Or if you automatically have your old response, then you notice it and you just shift it. You just react and you're like, okay, well, here's my new one. And you just practice the new one, okay? Now, a proactive approach is a little bit different because in this, in, in, in a proactive approach, you're not waiting for a negative thought to come in order for you to train your brain. Instead, you're already taking proactive steps. So some examples of what we do with our clients one would be that our clients write down their successes each day. So they write down their successes and the lessons that they learned and the things that they're doing that they're grateful for. Why? Because this starts to train the brain to look for progress. And how many of you have been your whole life looking for what's wrong? Right? Whole life. I remember I was just, if I got a 95 on a test, my first reaction wasn't, oh, good, I got an A. My first reaction was, which five did I get wrong? So if that's the way your brain thinks, then what needs to happen 
is a, is a flip, a complete flip. So if I notice myself saying, oh, I got a, if I got a, if I got a 95, what the heck did I get wrong? Obviously I'm looking for what's wrong. Whereas someone else might be like, ooh, I got an A. And maybe they still might look for what they got wrong, but it's not their primary focus. The first thing is that they celebrate themselves. And behavioral science has shown that change happens best when change feels good. So if we're constantly looking for progress and looking for proof of our success, then success actually comes significantly faster. The more you're looking for your wins, the more you're looking for your progress, the more you're looking for your success, the more you'll notice them. Where your attention goes, energy flows. So this is one of the proactive ways our clients focus on training their mind to start just approaching the whole um, healing process differently. They're seeing themselves as successes instead of looking for all the things that are wrong. Does this make sense? Another example of a proactive approach that we use is we uh, focus on training of the subconscious mind. So we have like specific recordings that our clients listen to, to train their brain um, when they're relaxing or even if they're sleeping, they can use it. So that way they start to hear these things over and over the thoughts that they want, right? So it's so simple, right? But you have to get specific. That's why it's so important to be so laser focused in this process. So what would an example then be a combination of the reactive and the proactive approaches? Well, first you'd notice, let's say the obsessive thought, thought comes. The first thing would be the reaction of, of let's say, we'll use the cloud watching example, uh, holding it in a, in a detached way and just saying, oh, okay, this thought is allowed to be here, but I'm just going to let it uh, pass like clouds. But then at the same time, you can say, what would, what thought would I like to think right now? And then you can practice saying that. So let's say the, let's say the obsessive thought is I'm so fat, because I know a lot of people have this thought. So let's use that one. Let's say the obsessive thought is I'm so fat. Your first thing is your reactive, your, your reactive um, response, where you just practice saying, okay, just because I have this thought doesn't mean it's true. Okay, you take the drama out of the thought. But then you can also be proactive. And you can say, what thought would I like to have? And then you can practice that thought. Something like, um, my body is releasing uh, everything it needs to in its perfect timing, right? So it's not like an affirmation that you don't believe. You don't wanna be saying things that you don't actually believe. That won't change anything. But if you say something that, yes, this is true, I am changing, I am releasing what I don't need anymore, then your brain is like, oh yeah, I can accept that. And then it starts to take on these new thoughts. And the key here obviously is gonna be the repetition. So these are some examples. So, the, so what you wanna do is you wanna choose your approach, whether it's a reactive approach, a proactive approach, or a combination of the two. And you want to know what you want to use so that way you you know what you're going to practice going into your day. Okay. And then the third step is to use what you, use all that to set up your strategy. So depending on what you've written in your list of these are all the thoughts I want to get rid of, and these are the thoughts that I want to have, you set up your strategy. So you might just be like, all right, any thought relating to weight that just bothers me, I'm going to just replace with this thought. So as soon as I notice myself 
saying it to myself, I'm going to correct it and practice the new one. And then throughout the rest of the day, I'm just going to write down all the ways that I'm succeeding. So that way I'm still promoting the fact that I'm successful here. Okay, so you'd you'd come to it with your strategy and you'd practice your strategy each day. Consistency is important here. And that brings us to step four, which is practice makes progress, because without the practice, this doesn't work. Think of all the times in the past you've built up these old thoughts. So it's going to take repetition for the new ones. It doesn't. But I don't I want to just be clear here. If you've been practicing one thought for 30 years, it doesn't mean it's going to take 30 years to change it. All you need to do is be very consistent and intentional and to work with the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. And this is what we do. And then, of course, it's also important to know that if you need help and that this is something that is what I find is that there's some areas of my life where I'm too close to it and I need to bring in another person who can help me because they're not as close to this as I am. Like, what are we closer to than our own brains, right? So even with our clients, like sometimes they'll be saying things and I'll hear it and I'll point it out and then they'll be like, oh, I didn't even realize that I was thinking that or saying that because it's so normal to them. So what it does when you recruit help in some way, you get more of an objective perspective and then it's so much easier to do this work because you have someone outside of you who can see the things that you're not seeing. So for people who we work with, for example, we work with the people who have been struggling with this for a number of years, like I'm talking decades, those are usually the people who we work with, and they want to be privately guided in every step. They know they're so close to this that they can't see it. Like when you put your hand right in front of your face, you can't see all the lines in your hand. Like you have to hold it back. So if you see someone else, if you if you know someone else who can help you do that, that's like an invalu invaluable asset to you as you're doing this process. And also you can recruit even family members or friends. If they catch you saying something that you are trying to shift, they can call it out in a kind way, of course, and remind you so that way you can practice your new affirmation. Shakar and I do this all the time at home. If he catches me saying something um, that he knows is not in alignment with what I want, he'll, be, he'll help me reframe it or he'll invite me to reframe it myself. And this is how the thoughts begin to change over time. So ultimately, guys, this is one of the simplest things that you can do that makes a tremendous difference in the way that you think and the way that you relate to food and to yourself. However, the practice is non-negotiable because the theory can only take you so far. The theory won't do any of the actual brain training. The way that this works the best is when you're doing it multiple times a day, every day, because then the brain gets the practice. Like if I learn a new dance, Right. If I just practice it once a week, I'm going to have to like relearn the same part every week because I haven't been practicing. But if I practice, you know, as I'm cooking in the kitchen and as I'm waiting for the bus and as I'm, you know, waiting online at the supermarket, if I'm doing those little practices and running through it in my head, then I'm going to remember it so much faster. By the time my my next dance lesson comes, I'm going to have that part down and I can learn a new part. So that's where the practice is going to be the most important 
uh, asset of yours during this during this time, which is great. Why? Because you're in control of that, right? We're not in control of the thoughts that come in, but we are 100% in control of our reactions to the thoughts. 100%, we are in control of that. We can change that. And we're in control of how often we practice. We're in control of who we ask for help. We're in control of so many pieces here. So, and I, I bring this up because I hear people so often saying, I feel so out of control. And I bring this up because this isn't something where you just flip a switch. You have to put in the work. You have to. There's no shortcut. I wish there was a shortcut, <laughs> but there isn't a shortcut. But the beauty is, is that when you practice this consistently, it's not painful. It's very simple, easy to remember. And then you start to see these changes and they happen over time. So what's nice is that it gets easier and easier as you go. It's not like a diet where as you keep going, it gets harder and harder until you fall off. When you're training your brain, it gets easier and easier, just like driving, right? Driving, yeah, and Lisa says, and it works. Lisa knows because she's been doing this work for a few weeks now, and she's already seen super dramatic changes. And what's beautiful is like, if you're driving, Right in the beginning, it's so stressful because you have to think about all these little things and you have to pull back the gears and you have to remember to signal and, oh, did I check my mirror? And, oh, my seatbelt. And you have to think of all the things. But eventually, you know, you take driver's ed, the teacher helps you, they point out things you're not noticing or habits you might have developed that aren't great. They help you. Eventually, you don't need the driver's ed teacher anymore and you just drive on your own where you feel safe in your neighborhood. Once you feel safe with that, then you go out on the highway and suddenly you're driving, you're cruising, you're eating a sandwich at the same time, you're on the phone at the same time. Not that I'm recommending these things, but this is how people drive because they don't need to think about, okay, my, left, my right foot needs to go to the pedal and then the gas. People aren't thinking that. Their foot's automatically doing it. And this is how we start to train the brain. Just like you've gotten to be autopilot with driving, you've gotten to be autopilot with your eating. There's all these little muscle memories with your eating habits now that you can undo simply by creating that space and practicing the new habit. And there is no exception to this when it comes to thoughts. You treat your thoughts the same exact way that you would learn a new dance. Seriously, it's the same exact process. The reason why I think people see it as so overwhelming is because of this long um, history of baggage and defeat and failure around food. So they think, oh, everything's been so hard, so it's going to continue to be so hard. But it doesn't have to continue to be so hard. It can get easier and easier and easier once you find yourself laser focused on the right things. Exactly. And Lisa just brought up, which is a great point, Lisa, is the is the automatic breathing. So when we create that space, like I was talking about earlier, that space between the trigger and the reaction, when we slow down and we just breathe and we relax ourselves, suddenly we're in this calm place where we can just choose whatever we want to do. 
what happens in the beginning, you have to be like, oh, wait, I have to breathe. Okay, I'm breathing. <laughs> and you have to kind of train yourself to breathe. But over time, what happens is you notice the trigger and then you're automatically breathing. You don't have to think about it anymore. You notice a stressful trigger, suddenly you're calm because you're breathing and it just happened automatically. Why? Because you just practiced. Doesn't mean you, you don't need to be smart. <laughs> I mean, all of our clients are very smart, but to do this, you don't need to be smart. You just need to have a working brain. And if you are currently stuck in a habit of binging, then that is proof that your brain is capable of creating strong habits. If your brain was not capable of change and strong habits, you would not be binge eating right now. Am I right or am I wrong? How did all that happen in the first place? Because of building the habits. Why does it get worse over time? Because of the habits, because it's cumulative. So the more you kind of, it's, it's kind of like, um, if you think about money and compound interest, how when you're young, if you just put in a little bit into your investment account every day, then it grows and grows over time until eventually you're financially free. The same kind of thing happens here. You do these habits, little, little here, little here, put in a little this day, a little the next day, a little the next day, a little the next day. Suddenly you have this whole secure, you know, um, growth of all these habits that now you can depend on. Now you're free. You're mentally free. You're emotionally free. Works the same way as just saving a little bit of money over time. You just practice these habits a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and it grows and it grows and it grows and it compounds until this is eventually your new personality, your new way of looking at things. Does that make sense? So this is how it works. Um, oh, I made actually pretty good time today. <laughs> so guys, um, like I said, the most important thing you can do is practice. So the first thing you want to do now, if, if first of all, well, let me give you a few action steps. First of all, if you're new to this, the first thing you want to do is understand what it is that you want to create. How do you want it to feel to learn to live in your brain? Right. Lisa just said you learn to trust yourself. That's the most that's the best place for the brain to be, to be able to just learn how to trust yourself, that even if some negative thoughts come, you know, you can bring yourself back. What a huge gift that is. So if the first thing you want to do is understand what it is that you want to create for yourself, not just what you don't want, not just what you want to get rid of, but what do you want to invite into your life? What kind of thoughts do you want to invite in? What kind of relationship with food do you want to invite in? Then you get to create your habits and you get to pick your strategy, whether you want it to be proactive or reactive. That's all the fun part that comes after you decide, what am I creating here? OK, and if you are somebody who needs help and you want like high level help where someone can guide you through every step of this process, you're welcome to reach out to us because that's exactly what we do. We help people really accomplish three things. First of all, to create peace around any food, even trigger foods. So that way you see trigger foods just like any other food in the world. That's number one. Number two, we help you. Get clear on your signals, your body signals. If you've lost those over time because of all the dieting and all the restriction and all the binging, if you've lost your body signals and you just want to be able to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, that's the next step. Then the third phase that we help people with is how do we deal with uh, cravings that come when we know we're not hungry? So that's what we're talking about here is mindless eating, emotional eating. Um, 
and using those cravings, not as enemies, but as messengers. So you can actually start giving yourself what you really want. Then you don't have to fight your thoughts about food. All of that stuff just gradually goes away because suddenly you're taking care of yourself and you're giving yourself what you actually need. And then the final stage after you've learned all of that is just practice. Practice, practice, practice. Oop, I fell down off the bike. Time to get up. Practice, practice, practice. Oop, fell down off the bike. Get back up. That's it. It is that simple. But when we've been wired in a different way, a lot of times, if, especially if we've been dealing with this for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, we need that outsider to help us because then we know, oh, okay, I am on the right path. Is this supposed to be happening? Oh, okay. Apparently this is good. So I'm going to keep going. Does that make sense? So this is the idea. If you want help, just reach out to me. You can just send me a Facebook message. Um, let me know what's been going on with, with your relationship with food. What are your biggest challenges and what's the most meaningful outcome that you want? Again, not what you don't want, but also what you do want for yourself. What is the life that you see for yourself um, outside of this disordered eating? How do, you, how do you visualize your future without it? What is it that you want for yourself? And then from there, then we can see if it's a good fit because, you know, spoiler alert, our program is highly specific. So we reserve our few open spaces for the people who it's really going to help. And then at that point, if it's a fit, then we can invite you in and you can get started right away. So if that's something that's interesting to you, that you feel like is calling to you, follow your intuition and go for it. And if not, if you just want to kind of keep getting little bits and pieces and learning, you know, we send out these talks to my email list. Also, I do some, um, if I do say so myself, I do some great writing that I send out to my email list. And um, we show up every single week so you can continue to feed your brain with these concepts because it's not just about what you're thinking, but it's about what you surround yourself with. So if you're constantly reading about dieting and weight gain and all those things, you're going to bring all that stuff into your world. When you're focused then on freedom and how do I liberate myself from this cycle and you start to invite those ideas into your world, suddenly your world starts to change. So either way, you have some great steps that you can take now just to start implementing this bit by bit as you go, investing that little dollar here that you know is going to grow into something big in the future. That's what this really is. Okay, so with that, I will let you guys go. And I will be back next week with a brand new topic. And of course, if you have any questions, you're so welcome, Julia. If you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out, feel free to write them in the comments. I do spend time checking the comments and stuff like that. Um, Lisa says, what's dieting? <laughs> exactly. That's where we want to be. So I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for being here. And again, for your kindness and your support for the work that we do. Um, I very much appreciate you. And I'll talk to you soon.